I Do you think could, he should be impeached with that evidence? I think he certainly could be based on the evidence that's gathered. I don't know what Congress will do. I actually kind of hope that he isn't impeached because I think that would let the American people off the hook. The American people need to vote their values next year. And if he was impeached and convicted and removed from office that way, a whole lot of his supporters would think there was some sort of coup that went on. We need an exercise in American democracy to show the world and ourselves these are our values and this guy doesn't reflect them. From the very beginning, he said, I can't do the main job of a prosecutor. I can't tell you if Donald Trump is guilty of crimes. Richard terminated them illegally. He terminated the emails. If we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime, we would have said so. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. With photos of face-down drowned refugees and new evidence that the president is a rapist in the news, I wanted someone who was all heart today to have a quiet shiva or at least a moment of silence for our nation. Alas, an all-head person was on the docket today. That's Ross Garber, the American lawyer, professor, and legal analyst for CNN, the world's leading expert on American impeachments. Ross is always dreadfully unweepy, unbloodthirsty, and proceduralist when it comes to the president. And you couldn't get Ross to pick up a pitchfork even if Thanos himself or maybe Smaug were after us. That dude would litigate with a dragon. But it turns out Ross is on Trumpcast at exactly the right time, since last night we learned that no less a personage than Robert Mueller is due to testify before Congress and all the world on July 17th. Naturally, all good minds turn to impeachment. Maybe this testimony will be the inflection point that will get Congress off their arses and supply a few moments of patriotic arousal that will drive out the scourge in the Oval Office. Maybe Jerry Nadler will stand up and proclaim, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and the streets, we shall fight in the hills, and we shall never surrender. Or maybe Congress and the media will just surrender and fight nowhere, on no landing grounds, no beaches, no fields or hills, and they will just always surrender and say, wow, Trump is huffing his usual mix of Freon and treason and what a wacky uncle he is and let's not disturb him. Anyway, Ross, as usual, has some fantastic and surprising ideas about Mueller's upcoming testimony and the possibility of impeachment. Well, I have my one never-ending idea. Impeach the president now. Did I just do Jerry Nadler as Winston Churchill? Huh. Ross, welcome back to Trumpcast. It is great to be here. Okay. As you know, Ross, I fondly call you Buzzkill on Twitter. And that is fond because you're the guy in the massive, boisterous Twitter pub who, when we're all getting rowdy about our beloved Manchester United, tells us they don't have a shot against Arsenal this season. And I own it. And it's why today is just such a great day to be here. Yeah. Because I know you probably just came from Walmart to buy your like big screen TV to watch <laughs> the Mueller testimony. So I cannot wait. To just take me down. Yeah. To make me yeah, regret that yeah. purchase. But it is a good day to have you here as a reality check. Because I don't think I have any buzz left to kill. I mean, I am excited about the Mueller testimony, but I am ready to give it to me straight. First, before we even get to Mueller, you are an aficionado of impeachments. Can you tell me why in the world the House leadership has not moved to impeach yet? 
Yeah. So they have millions of reasons, maybe not millions, but lots and lots. First of all, Pelosi has actually said explicitly that she wants to focus on a political agenda that's going to serve House Democrats in 2020. And polls have shown, even public polls have shown, that does not include impeachment or any of this investigation stuff. So Pelosi wants to keep the focus or get the focus on those kinds of political issues, health care and immigration and things like that. And impeachment just sort of you know screeches all of that stuff to a halt. But is that true? Because you've been part of many impeachments. And I remember Elijah Cummings's last words to Michael Cohen, you know, in that great absolution speech where he told him, go and sin no more. He said, we can do more than one thing in Congress. And he seemed to imply that they can look into Trump, they can investigate and conduct maybe an impeachment in at the same time, they do health care and the crowd pleasers. So they can't. They're not great at doing more than one thing at a time. And you know who else is really, really, really bad at it hmm. is the press. The press is terrible hmm. about covering multiple things at a time. What they like to do is have a story, have a storyline, and just, you know, cover the crap out of it. Yeah. And impeachment is a great storyline for the press, right? I mean, it's it's got a narrative arc, yep. and things happen, and they can be invested. So if that is the storyline, for sure, that's going to distract from uh, what Congress is doing, even if they're trying to do multiple things at a time. Mm. And then, of course, we, you know, as people, we're going about our lives, and it's hard for us to concentrate on, you know, that many things, you know, coming out of Washington. And by us, I don't mean you and you and me who like, you know, focus on this stuff all the time and are on Twitter. I'm talking about the the people that Nancy Pelosi is actually trying to talk to. So that's another reason. You know, there's also a fear that an impeachment process is going to motivate Trump's base um, to, to get out because he's going to be able to say it's presidential harassment, that it's already been decided, no collusion, no obstruction, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to motivate his base to, to, to get out there even more. And I think she thinks the speaker thinks that's perilous. And let me add one more because, you know, there, there are lots and lots yeah. of, of reasons. But another thing is it takes the focus off of Trump and will put it on House Democrats and their ability to do an investigation and to do an impeachment process and on, you know, Nadler and his committee. And that's not what I think Democrats want to be judged on this cycle, in particular because there is an expectation that I think is warranted that even if the president's impeached, he's not going to be convicted by the Senate. And so it will easily be spun as a failure. So, you know, I, I think the speaker doesn't want, you know, us all and, you know, and the press and the pundits, you know, watching the House Judiciary Committee try to sort of bumble through an impeachment uh, inquiry and judging House Democrats and Democrats in general based on that. Well, I mean, this is not a science and you've been party to many impeachment defenses. So is this true that the impeached figure gets a bump of support, suddenly gets everyone's pity? Is it true that a legislature can't at all focus on other issues, whatever the press is doing, that they can't make any progress? You know, famously, Clinton got things done during his impeachment. And do any of these arguments hold water? They do, especially if you've got an effective defense running. Because remember, 
you know, during the Clinton impeachment, for example, the president emerged from that process more popular. And on the other side of it, Mm -hmm. Gingrich lost his job. The House Republicans lost seats. His successor, intended successor, Livingston, resigned. There was a scandal involving the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. So as a result of the Clinton impeachment process, Clinton wound up actually looking better. House Republicans wound up looking worse. The speaker lost his job. In my experience in impeachments of state governors, Mm -hmm. there often is a bump in popularity and support for the official who's going through the impeachment process Mm -hmm. among his or her supporters. And it really is disruptive and potentially very politically perilous for the legislative body to go through this process. So we've given partisan reasons. And also, Counselor, I see that you've changed your tune a little bit from your June 4th CNN editorial where you said you think Nancy Pelosi is really wrong about impeachment. Or maybe you can tell me how those arguments are. No, no, no. So I wrote an opinion piece saying that you know, Nancy Pelosi has said a lot of very wrong things about impeachment. And I stand by you know that piece. Mm -hmm. What I think is happening now is there is that political reality, but I think a lot of public officials are not willing to say what I just told you explicitly. Mm -hmm. So instead, what winds up happening is they come up with phony baloney things to say, Mm -hmm. which are then carried by pundits and carried by the press. And so my piece, I think the piece you're referring to is Nancy Pelosi's statements about impeachment standards, yeah, those are unsupportable. And what I think she's trying to do there is say, well, you know, we can't really do an impeachment because the standard is so incredibly high. And I think the standard for impeachment is really high, but I never... I've never advocated that it is the standard that she often, you know, says it is, which is, which again, I think is is unsupportable. I'm no good at politics, and I just don't really understand what politics fairy, what impeachment fairy has suddenly told Nancy Pelosi that it is absolutely certain that this would be bad for Democrats. But at this point, I, you know, I don't care if it's bad for Democrats. This is bad for this country to have a criminal in the White House. So let's switch from talking about politics to just talking about the law. Maybe nobody likes the possibility of a kind of rebound in popularity for Trump like happened to Clinton. But there's also what happened to Nixon. We don't have a lot of precedent for this. And Nixon certainly didn't have a rebound in popularity after his resignation. So let's just talk from a legal standpoint and shelve politics and try to put country over party and say what's good for the country right now. From you, who thinks that impeachment in general is dangerous. Yeah. So you're asking me sort of my legal perspective on this? Yes. You know, you said someone like the House leadership, Pelosi, are going to default to talking about politics. That's their first instinct. But then you urge her in this editorial to think beyond politics. You know, it's sort of it's not partisan. It's crime, potentially, at least misconduct, professional misconduct that it seems like hits the bar for an impeachment remedy in the legislature. Yes, see, but Virginia, impeachment is an inherently political process. And so I think you and I have talked about sort of the the legal construct for for impeachment before, and I'm happy to talk uh, about that more. But I think one of of the big issues where you actually are more of an expert than I am, but that is inherently also part of the impeachment process, is the communications, is... Mm is letting the public know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where, you know, in my Twitter feed and elsewhere, and you call me a buzzkill, (laughs) that's where I think the the process 
is often lacking is there's a lot of phony baloney info and you know out there and phony baloney spin that that i think i think that's what's not doing the public any good so when the speaker says for example um that you you can't impeach somebody unless you are you know guaranteed to get a conviction in the senate Mm -hmm. you know i think that's a place where you can say well wait a minute, where, where'd she get that from? Or, for example, as she said, you can't impeach somebody unless you can say for sure that they have violated a specific statute. Again. Yeah, you have this great point in this article, and I, I just such a, I mean, I'm just recommending this to listeners. We'll put a link in the show notes. There weren't a lot of federal crimes when the Constitution was written. Now we have a lot of them. And so the Constitution left it up to kind of common sense that impeachment was a remedy preference as Ben Franklin said, to assassination for a president that just had committed grievous offenses against the state. But they don't have to be violations of federal law because there weren't all that many criminal statutes at the time we based our constitution, in this case, off Great Britain's. Yeah, that's right. And in the debates about the impeachment provision, the notion was that we wouldn't just define sort of the specific laws that an official would have to violate. So that that's how they came up with, you know, two specific laws, treason and bribery. Mm-hmm. Both of those are, are clearly crimes. And then the founders put in the Constitution and then other high crimes and misdemeanors. So mm-hmm. other stuff that's sort of in that class of treason and bribery, super serious stuff mm-hmm. that affects the government, but that's not defined as that. And so it, they've left it to future generations in a political process of defining what that is. I think we had another show on this where high crimes and misdemeanors was parsed within an inch of its life, but that essentially, you know how in the law there are often two words for something and then they diverge, so assault and battery. I think one of them's French and one of them's Anglo-Saxon, I'm not sure, but aiding and abetting, they mean they begin by meaning the same thing and then they diverge. And high crimes and misdemeanors or crimes and misdemeanors may be the same thing. And the high simply refers to the office. So if you're a president and you're committing a crime or a misdemeanor, which roughly synonymous, then it's already a high crime or misdemeanor. Well, you've covered this stuff before, I know. So, you know, basically, we borrowed that phrase from England, as you know, from Great yeah. Britain. Yeah. And the notion was something like super serious that affected, you know, the official and the official's role that made their continued governing untenable. Yes. And that's really what it was. That That's what that phrase referenced in the framers' minds. So if the public needs to be made aware of this, and I know um, Matt Miller on this show has said this, and it seems now patently true that text of the Mueller report, that an audio version of the Mueller report that I had the honor of working on, that uh, even renditions by actors in video, there's a graphic novel of the Mueller report, those things have not yet affected the people as much as televised testimony does. You know, if it's not on television, it didn't happen. So now we do have July 17th, a date for Robert Mueller to testify in an open hearing, not behind closed doors, not Hope Hicks kind of stuff. 
And I expect that that Wednesday will have a lot of people tuning in and they may hear the kind of things that they heard the recent border officials say, just legal gobbledygook to try to explain away what's happening at the border that apparently was quite effective for mobilizing people to outrage. So possibly if Mueller cuts our meat for us so much that we can't help but swallow it on TV, spells out what's in the report, maybe gives it a certain um, greater sheen of authority and patrician Mullerism, maybe finally there'll be, well, still more outcry for impeachment. What do you think? See, this is why I got up this morning. (laughs) No, no, none of that is going to happen. It is not going to happen. Hmm. First of all, it's not like it was in the 1970s, where if it's not on TV, it's it's not important. And, you know, it, we're not going on that day to huddle around our TV sets and sit transfixed. And, that, and by <laughs> we, I, again, I don't mean you and me, I mean the general public. That's not how it's going to go down. You know, the, maybe viewership, you know, during the middle of the day is going to, you know, bump up a little, but I think that's not going to be what's ha- what's going to happen. Number one, number two is Mueller is almost certainly not going to say anything particularly inflammatory. Mm-hmm. We watched his press conference. Mm-hmm. He was measured. He was obtuse. He was respectful of the institutions, and, and that's going to matter here because I think the Department of Justice is going to, before he testifies, is going to invoke an, essentially an executive privilege. And and Department of Justice tradition and say, Mueller, you can't testify uh, and say anything beyond what was said in your report. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's going to be very lawyerly. I think we're going to see, you know, rounds of questions from members of the committee that are going to be sort of more speechifying than questions. I think it's going to be a largely unproductive day. And and so, look, if you were really trying to educate the public, if you were really trying to do it, I think you would think about the kinds of things that we've seen already that you've been involved in. But think about, it's sort of where I started. If I were trying, and, and why I think this whole process that the House is doing is total phony baloney, is if I were trying to do a real investigation of what's going on, how would I structure it? If mm-hmm. I were trying to do a real evaluation of what was going on, mm-hmm. of the Mueller report, I mean, look, they don't have to start from the beginning. They've already gotten a huge report. It's the product of hundreds of witness interviews and reviews mm-hmm. of millions of pages of, of, of documents. The Judiciary Committee already has that. What what else are they hoping or expecting or wanting to learn beyond what's in the Mueller report? So I think it's less about an investigation and more about an evaluation of that, which you'll notice the committee has studiously avoided doing. I mean, they're, they're not evaluating what to do about it. So, and then second, uh, how you present that to the public. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's where I think if, if you were working for the committee, mm-hmm. think about what you would do to try to get word out about what the Mueller report contains about mm-hmm. the process, you know, all of that stuff. And as you can see, the committee so far hasn't done that. And I don't think that's going to happen in connection with the Mueller testimony. Well, I continue to think that Adam Schiff, not of the Judiciary Committee, but House Intelligence, ha- did the best job right out of the gate with the Mueller report, giving a summary of volume one and asking, do you think this is okay? 
if during the committee hearing with Mueller, if Republicans could be sort of forced into talking about whether they think this is okay. That is the simple standard that you refer to, the kind of rule of thumb or a kind of sense of, does this uphold the dignity of the office that the president did these things? I mean, Mueller's made some judgment about uh, prosecutorial judgments in the report that, as you say, are somewhat opaque. But it's time for Congress to put that into common sense terms. And even, I mean, I think if the Republicans on the committee could be made to say on volume one that, yeah, they think it's okay. It's what you have to do to win to take a meeting on dirt on Hillary Clinton with representatives of a hostile foreign power. I just would like to hear them say it and have an ordinary, real conversation now that nobody disputes the facts in the Mueller report about whether we think this is okay. You know? Yeah, but, but the hearing's not going to be structured to have so that they kind can of say that. Right. But those are the kind of things that in the committees, in the grandstanding, if they ask the kind of have you no shame style questions that they can put before the people to ask yourself at home. And I can imagine a very and the argument of a kind of operative, a really cynical, you know, but effective operative that, you know what, politics is dirty business. What he did in volume one, you know, is what it takes to win. And what he did in volume two, he did, as Bill Barr says, because he is paralyzed politically. He couldn't achieve any of his ends and he was being distracted and by this witch hunt. And but, those, but that's what anyone that- would do. The only thing is I just want to have... I want both sides of the House to confront the actual facts in the report and tell us why it's okay if that's what they believe. Right. So, But but none of that is going to come out of Mueller's mouth. None of what you said is going to come out of Mueller's mouth. Mm. So what's going to happen is I think some of that is going to come out of, you know, the House Democrats' mouths. And then the response will be, well, look at Strzok, look at Page, Look at the origins of this investigation. Let's talk about FISA abuse, you know, all of that stuff on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. And most of the public will be left with sort of a gobbledygook. And that's why I mm-hmm. think if the committee was trying to do what you suggested, um, what it would do is say, all right, we've got this Mueller report. We've got all this information. Now, what are we going to do about it? And, and, and you know, maybe if there are legislative fixes. Some people have suggested impeachment, but there's no sort of action item. You know, mm-hmm. the Congress isn't really considering any potential action. But once you consider the action, you know, then potentially you could have that kind of discussion. Well, House um, Intelligence could have a very, a, a very, a very robust discussion with Mueller about what to do to prevent further election interference. I mean, in trying to figure out what's going to happen in 2020. And if that's the whole thing motivating the leadership not to impeach 2020. I mean, you know, I've said this on Twitter. I've said this everywhere. Trump won not because he has some base that runs from sea to shining sea and loves him and will never leave him. He won because there was a thumb on the scale for him because he cheated, because uh, disinformation did demonstrably affect voters. And what can be done to prevent him and future candidates from cheating again? I mean, that's the central conversation, I think, about volume one. It doesn't belong to this committee, but that's not a weak legislative remedy to try to, as they say, harden the voting system. But Mueller's not going to say any of that. Mueller's well, really? Say, I mean, well, he's a counterintelligence person. He's an FBI person. He's a he's a counterterrorism person. He's going to invoke 
classification. He's going to invoke executive privilege. He's going to say, you know, look, my report speaks for itself. And if, mm-hmm. if it's in the report, then, you know, I, I stated it clearly in the report. If it's not in the report, unfortunately, it's it's nothing I can, you know, comment on, particularly in this setting, in an open setting. What do you look forward to hearing from him aside from, I mean, I assume you've poured over the report. Is there anything that you just want to hear from the horse's mouth? As you could probably anticipate from our our conversation thus far, Mm -hmm. my expectations are very low for what I think Mueller is going to say. What I'm looking for is actually for how adversarial House Democrats are willing to get with Mueller when he refuses to answer questions. I think that is, that's going to be interesting. Hmm. House Democrats going to take him on. Are they going to seek to, you know, if he's not forthcoming with answers, mm-hmm. are they going to go to court and try to seek to enforce the subpoena and, and not allow him to claim executive privilege? And then I'm also looking for how successful House Republicans are going to be in changing the subject and also how adversarial they get with Mueller when he declines to talk about Strzok and Page and the origins and the investigation and the FISA process. So I'm I'm looking at it, you know, more for that than than for what I think is going to happen. And I just don't think we're going to learn very much. I don't think the public is going to be moved at all. They haven't been moved by the, the Mueller report so far and all of the, uh, the, the, the mechanisms to kind of get the word out that you've discussed. I don't think that's going to move. The other thing I'm going to look at is I think what the speaker's trying to do is just get through the day. So this testimony happens. It's gonna. It's three weeks until that until the testimony. Testimony is going to happen. Then shortly thereafter, they go out on break, um, and then they come back in September. And I think what the speaker is hoping is that the subject changes. Um, you know, we've got presidential debates happening. I think the speaker's hoping that the subject changes to 2020. Um, and and the, the key issues that the speaker wants to be talking about. And I'll be interested to see what, if anything, happens um, in the interim. You know, remember, the, the uh, attorney general uh, refused to show up uh, and testify for mm-hmm. in response to a subpoena. The former White House counsel refused to show up and testify in response to a subpoena. The Hope Hicks claimed, uh, relied on the White House's claims of immunity. Mm-hmm. And so far, the House hasn't even initiated any investigate any litigation the house hasn't held anybody in contempt for those things mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what if anything happens first of all between now and when Mueller testifies as of right now no one else is scheduled to testify before the judiciary committee about any facts and so i'll be i'll be looking to see if there's any litigation if there's anything that happens uh between you know kind of now and september I think you're right that I do wonder how adversarial, how prickly, how something Mueller will be when people bring up the Strzok page, Chupacabra origins, bonkers stuff. Because I don't know if you saw, but Trump called into one of his favorite Fox shows and sounded more, God, we've got to find words that are exponentially stronger than unhinged. Maybe we need another language for them. But anyway, sounded typically um, addled, talking about Mueller's own crimes, citing some crimes by him of losing emails. Uh, I don't know. You could vaguely figure out what he might be gesturing at, but let's not do him the favor of doing that. I mean, if some of the loonies in the GOP start bringing that up, there is almost no way that Mueller 
will let that stuff stand. I mean, their assaults on his character, on his record, they impugn the integrity of the investigation and his office, and certainly the FBI's work. And it seems, as an institutionalist, that that might make him really want to put that to rest. Yeah, I think both sides, and it's why it's going to be very interesting to watch, both sides um, have to be careful how they treat Mueller. So the Democrats, they want to be able to rely on Mueller's you know, uh, investigation and, and talk about the facts that he found. But at the same time, I think there's the potential they are going to be annoyed um, and, and potentially angry with the fact that he's not going to answer a lot of questions in this hearing. Mm-hmm. Same goes for Republicans, though. The Republicans are going to want to be able to essentially tout the, you know, no collusion, no obstruction conclusion, but at the same time be critical of Mueller's team and the FBI for all the things you mentioned. And so I I think both sides are walking a tightrope because, yeah, what they don't want, because Mueller does seem to still have the respect of the American people, what they don't want is any sort of have you no shame moment. Yes, yes. For for either side, though, for either side, I think the Democrats are equally at peril of that happening. And so I think both sides are walking a tightrope. And that suggests there may be more fireworks or more to see than you say. I might not have to return my, you know, full (laughs) wall-sized Walmart TV and turn away the 2,000 people I invited to my apartment to watch. Among other things, I really would like, and we can move on from this, but I really would like to hear someone just say, so your report says it does not exonerate Trump does not exonerate, does not exonerate, and have him say, yes, it does not exonerate. You know, I mean, that kind of thing, just back and forth. The details in the report are just, you know, have him confirm the details in the report and then have him bridle at the ridiculous charges that he's a pedophile or whatever else comes from that loony side of the aisle, I think. You and I will be watching, and I think more people will be watching than we know. The kind of insistence that we always have that the American people don't care about this or that. We just keep saying that they don't care about this or that. These are the same people who overwhelmingly rejected Trump at the polls in 2016. The people in general, not those you know, four counties or whatever. And we keep saying they don't care about the border offenses and doing interviews to prove that they don't care about the president's crimes. They don't care about the rape charges. You know, I'm not sure that's true. I think sort of making a phantom, making a bete noir of this so-called base, you know, the ralliers is a big mistake. And I fear that Pelosi is doing that, that for fear of people who, you know, in some accounts seem to have been paid to come to rallies, who went out of curiosity and are a handful of people, Beto O'Rourke can attract uh, bigger crowds than Donald Trump can in some cases, and he's the president of the United States, and Beto's an also-ran. And then we just think about these people all the time, the people who live to own the libs, and act as if they are coming to get us where our consciences should mandate otherwise. That's a statement, not a question, but maybe you can tell me what you think. Yeah, two quick things on that point. One is I think what you allude to is something that I think Trump has done, believe it or not, masterfully, Mm -hmm. that I haven't seen anyone else do probably ever, and I'm not seeing the Democrats do, Hmm. which is to nurture his base. And I think because of the way we communicate, the way we get information, the way we're motivated now, it's so different than it was historically. That care and feeding of the base, I think, is important. And I think that's potentially one of the things that the speaker may be missing here 
is the care and feeding of the base. And it's why, you know, I got, I got ratioed on, on Twitter uh, <laughs> months ago when I said that I thought the Mueller report could actually be bad for Democrats if it is bad for the president, because it potentially sets up this dynamic where you've got, you know, sort of the hardcore believers being critical of the speaker and being critical of elected Democrats for not being aggressive enough. So, I mean, that's one thing. And the second thing quickly is that I think you're also right uh, that uh, that that it is a it, it's a narrow band of uh, of of people uh, of voters uh, who wind up deciding these elections, and to say that they don't care hmm. and people don't care about things, I think winds up being an an overstatement and an oversimplification. I think what what is probably better, and I think I think the uh, 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 you know Speaker Pelosi and others are. What they really mean is they don't care enough about this stuff. They may care about this stuff, but what's really going to move them are other issues. And I think there's probably you know merit in that. Hmm. I think in ordinary times we could say it's the economy, stupid. It's you know whatever else. But as my colleague Yasha Monk says, Trump has been maximally invasive, and we're sitting here with just the feeling of unlike Angela Merkel, he says, who can get away with a lot because she's so minimally invasive. Trump, it's just the ongoing assault to our sensibilities that seems kind of fun and rollicking in the beginning, and then seems just flat out exhausting. I remember feeling like this with Bill Clinton. Just God. For God's sake, serve out your shift and go home and let's just have, you know, one of those George H.W. Bush calm sea captain people um, here. So it sounds like you're a classic swing voter where you're open to potentially not voting for Trump, right? That you're, you're the voter. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm that, considering that both it. Sides should be you know, I'm just yeah. a fence sitter and that's, uh, yeah, yeah, I like to make my own yeah. decisions. I'm never in lockstep with so-called liberal Twitter. All right, one last thing. Andrew Weissman and Jeannie Ree. Now, there's talk that they might come testify, that they might be subpoenaed into coming in. There, of course, at least Andrew Weissman is a hotter head from the Office of the Special Counsel. What do you think? I mean, do you think they might add something to the equation? You and I have talked a lot about splits in the Special Counsel's office, some of which have started to seem more manifest, some of which are whispered about. But do you think some of the more fiery members of that office, including Andrew Weissman, might come in? and make the case more firmly than Mueller. So I think that actually is much more potentially interesting than the Mueller testimony. And I, mm. you know, I've said all along, the thing to, to look for are, you know, people who, who are interested in cooperating with the committee and what the committee is doing, if anything, with those people. Um, and, and notably, you know, unlike in, uh, in, the Watergate process, unlike in Star, it doesn't look like this committee has staffed up. It looks like the, the Democrats have added a couple of consultants. I don't know that the Republicans have added anybody, but it doesn't look like the committee has a the Judiciary Committee has a deep investigative staff. But what I I think uh, what you do want to look for are people coming in potentially coming in from the cold. You know, remember in. Uh, in, in Watergate, you had John Dean, 
you know, voluntarily cooperate with the Congress and mm-hmm. give them tons of information. And it was Congress that found out about the White House gaming system before the FBI did. Mm-hmm. And so that actually could be much more interesting, you know, especially in a White House that has seen so much turnover, you know, so much, you know, in a way kind of disruption. Uh, it, the, the, the potential cooperators could be former administration officials. As you know, they could be, you know, former uh, federal officials. Think about the number of investigators that Mueller and other U.S. attorneys' offices have had working on this. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors, FBI agents, other agents, lots and lots of potential people to come in from the cold and talk. Yeah. And with the rumors that some in the FBI are furious, not just, you know, with Barr's representation of the report, but with some things in the report itself, we might have some Mark Feltz among them. And as you say, I think that will be extremely interesting. Maybe I'll get some of my money's worth on the TV. Uh, you got to come. <laughs> Oh, to make God, it fun. I'd be too much of a buzzkill. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> My guest today has been Ross Garber. He provides commentary for CNN and teaches political investigations and impeachment at Tulane Law School. Thanks for being here, Ross. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Let's thread it out on Twitter. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And why stop there? Go over to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus and become a Slate Plus member today. Today is your day. Plus, members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. $35 amortized over 365 days. Hey, pennies a day. Go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan with help from Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.